Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Vox Tablet. I'm your host, Sarah Ivry. Today, assessing the life of Leonard Bernstein. When the composer and conductor Leonard Bernstein died nearly 25 years ago, he left a broad legacy. He wrote music for both Broadway and the classical arena. He conducted the world's finest orchestras. He wrote poetry. He devoted himself to music education. While some critics cheered the range of his engagements, others argued that in spreading himself so thin, he squandered his talents. In a new biography called Leonard Bernstein, the composer Alan Shawn examines Bernstein's life and career. Alan Shawn joins us today from his office in Bennington, Vermont, to talk about the book, which is part of Yale University Press's Jewish Live series. Alan Shawn, welcome to Vox Tablet. Oh, thank you very much. Nice to be here. Tell me, how did this book come about? Well, uh, I was asked by um, Eileen Smith, who is an editor at uh, Jewish Live Series, um, if I'd be interested in writing a book about Leonard Bernstein. I'm a composer. Uh, I've written three other books. The first one was on Arnold Schoenberg. So I suppose because of my interest in music and composition. Um, Yale must have thought I was a good person to write this book. Uh, from my point of view, it was it was a surprise. Bernstein has never been somebody who particularly preoccupied me. I always enjoyed seeing his young people's concerts, and I encountered him in fleetingly as a child, and I thought he was obviously a, a very significant figure in uh, American music and in 20th century music. But the book did not originate with a lifelong fascination on my part or the kind of obsession that leads some people to write a biography. So it was a a challenge and an exciting uh, opportunity for me to explore something new. You allude to it in the book, but maybe you can tell our listeners, what were your fleeting encounters with Leonard Bernstein when you were a child? Well, most of them he wouldn't have known about because they were similar to uh, the encounters a lot of kids in my generation were having with this very glamorous and very articulate uh, conductor who uh, was uh, quite a celebrity and was on television, sometimes seemingly weekly with the New York Philharmonic, uh, expounding about music and having that amazing orchestra as a kind of backup to his lectures. Um, But I also had uh, one of my very best friends, uh, Hank Chapin, whose father worked with Mr. Bernstein and knew him very well. And so on a couple of occasions, uh, we said hello to him uh, after a concert or at a restaurant, and um, unbeknownst to me, actually, the, uh, Mr. Chapin introduced Bernstein to the idea of meeting me uh, since I was a young composer. Uh, we're talking very young. I was, you know, 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old composer um, and wrote my parents about this. But that meeting never occurred. So that one I can't even call fleeting. That was just a possibility. <laughs> what distinguishes him as a composer to you? Well, I think I think we'd have to say that the range of his activities as a composer 
is the first thing that anybody would have to mention. I mean, this is uh, something that um, made him very hard to uh, categorize, if people want to categorize composers, and also very hard to appreciate. Uh, he wrote uh, several fantastic uh, shows for Broadway. Uh, certainly West Side Story is probably the most famous work uh, of his, and, and almost everybody knows it. Um, but then at the, at, at the same time, he wrote concert music throughout his life, and he actually began uh, composing as what we would call a classical composer. There's a kind of myth that Bernstein was a Broadway composer who wished he could write uh, more serious music, but that's uh, that's backwards. He was a serious composer and a very serious uh, musician, lear learned musician, who learned a great deal about uh, show business and always loved uh, Tin Pan Alley and, and, and knew that repertoire, uh, but uh, really started as a serious composer and by working in the music uh, business as a young person, uh, learned what he needed to learn about uh, writing songs. And, of course, he had an almost photographic memory for music, so he picked up what he needed to um, and became a marvelous songwriter. And he had a natural lyrical gift. So I would say that it's very difficult to describe Leonard Bernstein as a composer if you are used to thinking of composers as people who are centered either in uh, lighter music or popular music or uh, in uh, serious music or in academic music or whatever. Bernstein just loved music. Maybe let's listen to something that you think typifies him. Uh, what piece would you suggest? Oh, typifies. Well, <laughs> that's really interesting. Um, you know, <laughs> writing this book, as, as I mentioned, I've, I'd written a book about Arnold Schoenberg. Well, Schoenberg is a person who, in a way, needed to be demystified to some extent. I tried to write a, a warm appreciation of somebody whom concertgoers often uh, steer away from, or, or at least they used to. Uh, with Bernstein, I, in a way, hoped to mystify him. <laughs> I hoped to show people that just because he was an American and he was on television and he wanted everybody to call him Lenny doesn't mean that we actually knew him. Uh, this was a person of, of uh, a really remarkable intellect and breadth. And I tried to just, instead of starting with what I thought typified him, uh, I tried to listen as if for the first time to the music I knew, and of course then get to know the other pieces. So I felt that, that a dichotomy emerged in Bernstein, even from the very beginning in his concert music, uh, let alone the dichotomy between Broadway and, and the concert hall. So I guess I would say we could listen to a snippet of a very, very early work uh, from when he was 22, uh, the Violin Sonata, which was not published until very, very recently.
Um, and juxtapose that with a moment from the clarinet sonata, uh, which was written a couple of years later, um, was published, was his first published work, and is a little bit more like what people think of as Bernstinian. And I would say that even these two pieces show a very introspective, kind of lonely, uh, a searching uh, compositional voice, uh, and alongside one that is more um, ebullient and genial and outgoing and sociable, uh, i.e., the man people think of as Lenny. about something that you said earlier that in setting out to do this biography you in some ways wanted to mystify Leonard Bernstein uh, can you talk a little bit more about that why did that feel like an objective that you wanted to reach oh yes I had well you know if you're a, an author and I guess I am one since I've written four books <laughs> uh, although I really in my heart I'm a composer but um, you need to bond with your subject otherwise why are you writing the book and my way of bonding to Bernstein was to identify with the pickle he was in as a born musician uh, with this fantastic uh, melodic gift, incredible sense of harmony as well, and what everybody really knows about his music, uh, this, this very original sense of rhythm, very supple and uh, often very connected to irregular meters and polyrhythms and, you know, uh, rhythms bouncing up against each other uh, the way they do in, in, let's say, Latin music. But uh, in a period, the pickle being that here he was, this born uh, outgoing kind of musician in a period in which some of the really great, uh, greatest composers were heading in a direction that was um, somewhat different and more, more forbidding and more systematic and and less uh, visceral, less just purely musical. Um, so I identified with that, and I took my cue, really, from the lack of interest in Bernstein on the part of my professors when I was a student. Mm -hmm. No American composer of any worth has been more neglected in academia than Leonard Bernstein. You know, I'm, I'm maybe going out too far on a limb here, but... He was uh, just not part of the discussion at all. And that was partly the dilemma of his being seen by the academics as a, a composer who was too theatrical and uh, too interested in getting a reaction from the audience and, you know, who excelled at uh, theater music. Um, Meanwhile, of course, the, the, the main audience that appreciated his music was the Broadway audience who had no use for 
modern music, you know, the, the modernist, what we call modernism. Um, and meanwhile, Bernstein himself had plenty of use for modernism. He loved uh, Stravinsky, Bartok, uh, Alban Berg particularly. So uh, I identified with the pickle he was in, and I also was fascinated uh, by the scorn that had been heaped on him in academia when I was a student. So uh, I took my cue from that, and that gave me a, a kind of through line in the book. I defended him as somebody who had broad musical tastes and uh, who, who didn't have one audience in America, particularly, who would follow him on his various uh, journeys back and forth uh, between the so-called vernacular music and so-called serious music. Let's talk a moment about his background. Where did he come from? What kind of a family environment did he grow out of? Well, he uh, was not that far from being a Russian, you know, like a lot of uh, American composers, uh, like like Gershwin Copeland and, and Irving Berlin. Uh, his father had run away from home in uh, Ukraine. His mother had... Also grown up in the same area of Russia, uh, although they didn't know each other uh, when they were children. So they were um, uh, recent uh, immigrants. Uh, his father worked his way up from having nothing as a teenager uh, in the, uh, New York City and uh, eventually ended up in the Boston area as uh, a salesman of, of uh, women's hair products and became very successful, even in, during the Depression, because apparently women like to get their hair curled even during the Depression, in fact, even more <laughs> than before. So Bernstein grew up in an atmosphere of increasing, uh, I wouldn't say necessarily affluence, but security on the part of his parents, uh, but also with this in, incredible unease of people who started with nothing. And uh, his father was not sympathetic to the idea of his being a musician. Uh, it took a long time before he became truly proud of him. And they fought quite a bit. And his father was also partly uh, moody and, and depressed at times. And Bernstein's parents were not that well matched, um, to put it mildly, actually. So you could say it, it was... Uh, this man who seemed to exude love and need love so much came from a family in which the parents uh, did not truly love each other. Uh, his brother and sister, however, uh, his younger brother and younger sister, uh, adored him and he adored them and they were, they were like a team. They were really the family, the, the three of them, the three siblings. Uh, Bernstein's encounter with music in the temple was terribly important. The Jewish community in, in Boston and Roxbury, where he was living, many of the people in that community were beginning to do very well. It turned out to be wonderful at business and so on. The temple reflected that, and they hired a, uh, they had an organ, they had a choir, they hired a, a composer uh, from Europe, uh, to come over and, and direct the music program. And, and this man became uh, Bernstein's really first uh, influence. But also, beyond that, just the sound of music in the temple 
made the little Bernstein uh, weep and, and uh, moved him to the tips of his toes. And then a piano turned up in the household given to him by uh, an aunt, Aunt Clara, and he bonded with that piano, and uh, that's when things started for him. And he was quite young at that point. Yeah, he was, he was just a 10-year-old. But um, what he had from the very beginning was, as I mentioned, this incredible, passionate, visceral uh, sense of music, and also a very strong um, understanding of music and of its, of its elements. But he had a lucid mind and an ability to distill what he heard uh, into its elements and to explain them to other people. So in my book, I tried to uh, suggest that really all of the attributes that led to the accomplishments of his later life um, and to the uh, multiplicity of his activities, they were all really there, in the, even in the child. So as a child, he was already teaching, uh, teaching his friends and then teaching his sister, playing Beethoven symphonies at the piano with his sister, teaching his, his brother Burton. And then when he was a parent, he was teaching his kids. Uh, he would teach his friends. He would teach his friends' mothers about Beethoven symphonies. So that was a, a part of him from very early. But always this desire to make things clear and to reach people. So again, here's a composer with that kind of mind in a period in which the action in music seemed to be uh, with composers whose music was very, very hard to understand. In terms of Bernstein's desire to be accessible, to not have music be this kind of haughty thing that only the highly educated can appreciate, What? Uh, how can we hear this manifested in a popular piece of music of his? Well, um, obviously, in a, in a way, he goes in the other direction in his shows. He introduces all kinds of musical um, complexities into the textures of his shows, uh, which many composers did not uh, put into their shows because they were not listening to what he was listening to. So, you know, uh, in On the Town, for example, he's got, he's got a whole stretch of theme variations in there in the original score, uh, not, the, not the movie version, which didn't use most of Bernstein's music. Um, but, you know, he's got uh, polytonality and incredible rhythmic complexities and counterpoint of all kinds, uh, and you know he really enriches the vocabulary uh, of of, the, of that first show. And in Wonderful Town, it's a, it's a different thing. But you know what I love about that Christopher Street opening is the way he takes he takes a riff from a, a band leader of the of the 1930s, Eddie Duchin, and he introduces it right at the beginning of Christopher Street. And he's he's drawing on his this encyclopedic. Uh, knowledge he has of show business music and of of different eras, but Bernstein, in a way, he takes it and he makes it into something else. It's really wonderful. It's just full of full of joy. It's a marvelous opening. Um, but he's telling you it's the 1930s, and he knows how to do that too. So let's listen to a little bit of Christopher Street from Wonderful Town.
On your left, Washington Square, right in the heart of Greenwich Village. By what trees smell that air? Painters and pigeons in Washington Square. What On did being right Jewish mean to Bernstein? That's a, that's a tough one. Um, it meant a great deal to him, but uh, not in any standard way, uh, because he was, you know, too much of a humanitarian generally to to make of it what what some people might might make of it. But uh, I think the fact that he did not change his name, even though uh, more than one person urged him to change his name from Bernstein to something else, Burns or something, uh, he was very um, committed to being a conductor and being a public personality as Bernstein or not at all. And I'm sort of paraphrasing what he said. Um, His father was steeped in the Talmud and uh, was the son of a rabbi and descended from a long line of rabbis. He wrote some beautiful music uh, setting Hebrew. He also conducted uh, the Israel Philharmonic throughout his life, uh, I believe without fee, if I'm not mistaken. Though politically, you know, he was uh, obviously a liberal, uh, I would say a socialist, really, um, and very consistent in his, his sort of left-leaning politics. But in relation to Israel, he was just plain pro-Israel. I mean, he, of course he was for the Carter Peace Accords and so on, too. But uh, his identification um, with the people of Israel and with the orchestra members in, in, in the Israel, Israeli Philharmonic was very strong. And he said when he went there, he felt... Uh, he felt kind of ecstatic, as as if he'd he'd gone home, you know, as if he was home. So uh, I think uh, he was proud of his Jewishness, and I think as a public personality, he made a lot of young Jewish people feel good about being Jewish. <laughs> Uh, I remember that myself, even though I had absolutely no conscious awareness that I was being influenced by public personalities. Uh, but, uh, you know, when I think about it and try to, uh, you know, uh, examine my own instinctive reactions to seeing this guy on TV and so on as a young, as a young person of Jewish origin myself, I'm sure I felt that. Um, and there's no question that a lot of the audience members felt it. Arguably, you share a lot with Leonard Bernstein. You, uh, you're both musicians. You're both composers. You both studied at Harvard. Where you differ is that your family, by popular accounts anyways, is said to be quite reserved from big shows of emotion and from kind of these uh, exuberant expressions of Jewishness. I wonder if some element of that is what in fact attracted you to Bernstein's, his sort of different way of comporting himself. Oh, Sure. Um, in fact, when I was uh, had that very first conversation uh, with with Eileen about doing this, I said, "Well, you know, I'm not a I'm not exactly steeped in this subject, and and um, this is this is a man who lived eight lifetimes. You know, how can one write a short book about a short biography of, of someone who had eight lives?" Um, and I did say, uh, "Well, it's an opportunity to." 
explore and uh, what it was like to be somebody whose life was so different from mine. Because, um, uh, you know, the, I don't travel much and um, I don't, <laughs> I'm not as big a show off as, as he was. And this was a person who externalized so easily and really so, so much. Um, so, yeah, of course, um, to be a shyer type of person and write about Bernstein was very interesting. And there were moments writing the book when I almost had to stop. It was so exhausting to think of living his life. You know, the number of amazing events that happened, uh, you know, one after the other, in this life is absolutely amazing, astounding. Um, and the amount of it that was public and the amount of work, just the amount that he, that he did, uh, it was, was exhausting to contemplate. As far as the Jewishness goes, um, strangely enough, uh, both my brother and I have a, a, a real feeling uh, about being Jewish, even though we were brought up with no religion whatsoever. I would say that we each have in our own way a strong sense of religion, too. And uh, you can't be a musician and not have a religious impulse. I can't imagine uh, that there could be a musician without a religious impulse, uh, or an artist for that matter, because art, uh, even if it isn't uh, officially religious art, it, it's uh, unofficially it is. <laughs> Alan, Sean, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I really enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you very much for getting me to talk about this interesting man. Alan Sean is a composer, pianist, and professor at Bennington College in Vermont. He's also the author of Leonard Bernstein, a biography out from Yale University Press's Jewish Live series, which sponsored this podcast. If you like this podcast, why not go ahead and tell a friend about it and encourage them to subscribe to Vox Tablet on iTunes. That way, your friend and you, of course, assuming you're a subscriber and you should be, will never miss a single episode. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm Sarah Ivry. We thank you very much for joining us. Thank you.